This is a podcast by The Straits Times. You cannot wear your ETF, your exchange-traded funds, on your risk, or neither can you drink your treasury bills uh, and experience it and hang on the wall and say, I appreciate this treasury bill that I've just bought. Welcome to Invest Talk. This is a series by the Straits Times podcast channel, Your Money and Career. At Invest Talk, we talk money matters and all things related to investing. We want to give you that extra edge in managing your hard earned money. I'm Lee Su Shen, Associate Editor and Senior Columnist at the Straits Times. Joining me to co host this episode is my colleague from ST Business, Tae Hong Yi. Hi Sushen, thanks for having me here with you today. We have two guests today to discuss the pros and cons about investing in luxury assets. Indeed, should it even be described as investing? Welcome, Prof. Sonia Prokopek, Professor of Marketing at Essex Business School. Her area of focus is in consumer judgment and decision making. She is also interested in understanding the factors that affect brand perceptions of luxury brands. Our second guest is Aaron Chui, Head of Wealth Advisory at OCBC. Welcome, Sonia and Aaron. Thank you for having me. Look forward to our discussion later. Whiskey, rare wines and fashion accessories even, like handbags and watches, are in the spotlight after Stella 2022. Property management firm Knight Frank's Luxury Investment Index, which tracks the value of 10 types of luxury goods, rose by 16% in 2022, outpacing inflation and most mainstream investment classes such as equities and gold. There are some experts who say that alternative assets like luxury goods can potentially offer a store of value amid volatile stock markets. How did this trend come to be? How did you know luxury goods have existed for a very long time, but it seems to be a more recent trend to see of them as potential assets to invest in? How did this come about? So uh, luxury brands are more and more starting to understand the value that they're bringing to the consumers in terms of the extreme emotional connection that these brands have. There's so much storytelling around the brands. Uh, there's craftsmanship, but craftsmanship, It's boring if it's not told in an interesting way. And these brands have understood that they can actually immerse the consumer into the whole universe and create that emotional connection, which consumers are finding more and more uh, valuable to them. So what's happening with the, uh, with the consumers is that the brand desire for some of these brands is so high that actually, you know, they are uh, willing to even buy it on the secondhand market. Uh, the resale market is, is booming and uh, queues for some of the products are very long. You can't get them very easily. So it's creating a desire, pent-up desire that's creating uh, in a way that consumers understanding that there's a potential that uh, they could actually capitalize on some of these things because there's much more consumers in the secondary market also desiring these products. However, not all luxury goods can be considered as assets, right? People don't consider all luxury goods assets, would you say? No, I think the asset ultimately has to be something that, that will have a higher uh, return on investment than what you initially paid. So if we look at luxury collectibles, these would include a wide variety of products. So you have fine art, initial starting point, but then you also have rare whiskey, you have luxury handbags, you have watches, you have jewellery. 
You have also cars. You know, there's quite a few products that could be in the luxury collectibles. But what we are seeing in terms of the assets is that probably the product categories that have the highest return on investment are watches and jewelry, rare whiskeys, collectible cars, and luxury handbags. So with these categories of goods that have become luxury assets, is there a risk that very highly publicized kind of blockbuster transactions at the top of the market might have led prospective investors to overestimate how viable and how profitable investing in this category is? Yes, absolutely. I think that you see these, you know, these very large purchases happening, especially in auctions. And it makes an average consumer, an average investor think that there is a potential behind many luxury purchases. But it's very important for the luxury investor or the investor in these luxury assets to understand which product categories have this potential. What is the story of the brand? How has that model performed historically? Uh, historic pricing and, you know, what, whether that product has peaked or it he- still has a potential to go up. But there has to be a lot of research done to, uh, to not just take into account what's happening in the auctions, but to actually really study the category, the brand, even the specific model. Right. So jumping in, Aaron, um, from what we've heard, could you comment on how investors should be viewing these luxury collectibles if, if they're going to be thinking about these items as an investment? Yeah. So the good thing about investors when they viewed upon the luxury collectibles is that they need to understand that not all collectibles actually appreciate over time. And it's usually a long vestation period in this period of time. Uh, so no matter how hefty the price tag is, uh, one should also then consider about the perceived value and expect certain amount of volatility as well as consider the price trends shifts, which is very much similar to any other investments. But at the same time, I kind of agree with Sonia that's all about pitch. Uh, we talk about, you know, collectibles are being backed by legacy. There's also a global appreciation of the quality and a craftsmanship that goes into making these items unique. And that's one of the key favorable points that, you know, is because of this uniqueness and the rarity of these kind of um, products that makes the value of this. So this kind of underpins their future value and appeal, which is very much similar to what investors need to consider uh, when you think about investments. Um, at the same time, you know, if you take a look at very similar brands like Pate Philip, you know, one of the very interesting cases was that they, they actually built upon the Grandmaster Chime, uh, which, which kind of celebrated the 175 anniversary back in 2014. And that was spectacular. In fact, that was actually auctioned for about 31.9 million in 2019. And that's also, again, based on many of these characteristics, meaning to say that it looks upon the uniqueness the chime, the complexity of the mechanism. And that rarity really brought the value to a very much high level. So hence, for for investors, when they look upon the collectibles, they really need to study the exclusivity. One cannot just walk into any of the retail store, the distribution network and say, I have the money and I just want to buy into these collectibles. They kind of need to build up the profile. So these are many things that investors should consider when you think about investments. 
Right. So these luxury collectibles definitely can be considered as an investment sometimes. But what about those um, more standard ones like treasury bills or exchange-traded funds? What are the differences with those type of investments? So it's very interesting that while they all go for appreciation and value, but very typically among the treasury bills and exchange-traded funds, they do produce dividends. But one can not expect kind of dividends inflows from luxury items. So that's not common as one of the key differences. Another very typical one is you cannot wear your ETF, your exchange-traded funds on your risk, or neither can you drink your treasury bills uh, and experience it and hang on the wall and say, I appreciate this treasury bill that I've just bought. So they experience the kind of uh, showmanship of a story, what it tells. And that's kind of one of the key differences that distinguish between the traditional investment assets versus the luxury collectibles is something that they're proud of, something that it's very hard to access into. And it's very rare to have these kind of collectibles. So that kind of uh, really differentiates the, the key differences. And in fact, the more these factors are being attributed, it actually brings up the value of the collectibles. Aaron, so how about from the angle of the trading principles and sort of regulatory oversight? Uh, would you say that you know, there's, there's less of this sort of structure surrounding luxury assets compared to these established classes of investments? Yeah, definitely indeed. You know, for the luxury collectibles, uh, it is not regulated. And hence, a lot has to deal with the reputation, the kind of network and contacts. And there are also many instances of frauds as well. So there's a bit of uncertainty there. And Typically, in the regulated market of the treasury bills, you know, your equities, the transaction cost is very small, but not in the case of luxury collectibles. They can actually command quite a huge amount of spreads, and that needs to be taken into consideration as well. So I would like to move back to you, Prof. Sonia. So there's a move towards tokenization of these luxury assets where the value of a diversified portfolio of a certain class of luxury goods or even just one very expensive t uh, specimen is split into tokens, each representing a small slice. So what do you think is the kind of sentiment that drove this trend towards uh, these creation of these tokens? Well, I think to, uh, to, in, uh, to what Aaron was saying, it's really an investment game for very uh, high-end consumers if we talk about the physical products. So far, that has been the case, right? So you can just walk in into a Patek or in a mess and get a Birkin bag. You have to work your profile. You have to have a buying history. You, you have to show your worth to the, to the brand, basically, in order for you to even gain access to some of these pieces that would then be valued as potential assets. So, so far, this has been really only open to high net, uh, net worth individuals or ultra high net worth individuals. And with the tokenization, what this allows is that a, a more average investor to buy a portion of the, of the portfolio of some of these assets to be able to still maybe benefit from some of the returns that you would have. The other thing that I think is interesting here is that you have maybe, if you're not that knowledgeable as a consumer, maybe this provides you more certainty in terms of what types of assets you should be putting or investing in as opposed to learning by yourself and uh, potentially, you know, making some mistakes along the way that could be quite costly. But there's, of course, the downside as well, which is that you don't actually get to have 
like Aaron was saying, you know, nothing on your wrist or not, nothing in your hand. You are only purely thinking about it practically and the emotional benefits of being a collector and owning these things and enjoying them is definitely not there. So the interesting thing that struck me about these tokens, having reported on them and read about them, is that the way they market, and you know, they, they are quite aggressive to the public, you know, they market quite aggressively to the wider public, to any typical consumer, oh, you can buy into this with a few hundred dollars for a token. But in practice, it's actually a product category that's only open to investors who are accredited by the regulator and in Singapore, that's quite a high bar. So, so what do you think explains this difference in terms of why these brands are trying to market the accessibility when the actual product is still that exclusive, even for the token? I think the uh, name of the game of luxury is lack of access. So I think that's um, more and more brands. This is what I was uh, uh, saying a little bit earlier in terms of the, you know, more and more brands are understanding how to build brand desire. In order to really build the brand desire, one of the key things that many of them have successfully started implementing is this prevention of easy access. If you can just walk in a store, even if the wealth is not a concern, and get whatever you want, that is less desirable than if you walk in a store and now almost the roles are reversed and you uh, have to court the salesperson or, you know, buy uh, certain things before even opportunity to buy something else is presented to you. I think this is the same principle and this, this kind of control of brand image is very important for luxury brands. They actually really take this very seriously on every single perception point. So it's not just about the store or the ads, but it is also everywhere where their name appears. They want to have the same perception of image. And I would say that this is similar approach, even though this is as far removed from the first line of business as uh, you would imagine. Right. So I think let's move on to Aaron. So would you suggest that investors who are new to investing in this class try out tokenization due to the lower cost of entry potentially for a diversified portfolio? For example, a token for a vintage premium wine portfolio issued on a digital exchange here opened at $0.83 cents per token with a minimum subscription size of 1,000 tokens worth $830. Investors will actually price up at a huge ticket item on the price tag, right? They need to kind of think about, you know, how can they participate in this? But at the same time, through the tokenization, it really enables them to be, have a one foot in in terms of the affordability, as well as spreading across various types of collectible luxuries with the fraction of owning the whole ownership of the, of the whole item. So with that, it kind of encourages more investors to be able to come in uh, at a fractional ticket. And this actually encourages more exchanges, more liquidity, and in fact, more transaction costs. So from this effect as well, it's also able to generate new interest of the market, whereby without having to cough out the full amount, they can then, through the tokenization, be able to participate in multiple tranches. So that really kind of speed things up towards the global interest, towards tokenization, the technology behind it. Um, at the same time, increase the profile of luxury collectibles. Find us on Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or via the Google Voice Assistant and Amazon Alexa-enabled devices. And now back to our podcast episode. 
Let's get back to the conversation with our guest today, Prof. Sonia Prokopek and Aaron Chui. Aaron, so we've heard quite a fair bit about luxury assets, but what proportion of an investment portfolio do you think should be allocated to these assets? Yeah, so as an investor, one do need to consider the type of profile of client, meaning to say that you know, before we reach in, in terms of the amount, they need to consider if they are the right profile, are they, do they have the right risk appetite? At the same time, have, having the long patience to wait out over a longer vestation period of that. Um, typically, one would then invest, I'll probably say about 5 to 10% of the overall portfolio, while the remaining is invested in the mainstream uh, investments because that's still able to en- ensure that you have liquidity, the dividends profile, uh, and a wider diversification of the, of the investments. But again, I do know of very specialized investors who really have the knowledge, the expertise, and the financial resources to dive into luxury collectibles and have made a lot of wealth from this. So it really depends on the type of suitability of the client and the positioning of them. Right. So what should we really be mindful of? I mean, is it the risk appetite? Uh, maybe you could elaborate on that. What lessons, you know, can uh, investors take away? Given the risk appetite, even within collectibles, there are also various degree of risk appetite. For example, the price you paid for the item. Are you paying a hefty price for it? Or did you spot something right at a very cheap level where it's unnoticed? Or you have patience to buy it and kept it for years, uh, maybe even generations, and pass it down and says, oh, yeah, this is this came from my great-grandfather. You know. So price points is actually important. There are people who, in fact, paid a very hefty price and the trend just goes through a cyclical change and they lost quite a lot of money in that. Uh, the other area that investors should be mindful about is diversification. One good thing about that is also think about correlations against traditional assets. However, while we do tend to say that collectible items, um, they tend to be not as correlated to traditional investments. But to a certain degree, there is some form of correlation. So for example, this is a period of time where equities and, uh, do very well and the markets is actually in a bull run. You usually find that the trend coincides with a higher price in luxury collectibles. So there is some certain form of degrees of correlation there as well. The other areas of importance is that the investors need to understand the authenticity of these collectibles to be able to authenticate whether these are real or fake goods. So that requires a lot of knowledge. And in fact, uh, they probably need to go through a middleman to kind of qualify if, if these are, are real items or not. So having the right mindset in general, understanding the general trend, do know that you know, these trends can change and sometimes when these trends change, they may not repeat itself. So these are a few factors where they need to be considered when they're investing in luxury items. Thanks for that, Aaron. So Prof Sonja as well, do you have any pointers for our listeners on how should they approach luxury investing? Should they even enter in the first place? What do they have to think about? I think one of the, uh, for, for an average uh, investor, let's say, uh, that's looking to, to start maybe investing, I would say first, it's really important to understand the product category and build knowledge in one product category better than, you know, to try to vary the investments. Because I think, you know, the knowledge takes a long time to build and you need that knowledge in the brands, in the different models. 
Uh, for example, I, I uh, just worked on, on a research project with my colleagues at uh, Essex Business School that looks into the watch market specifically. So I interviewed a lot of watch collectors, and I think that's, for example, the knowledge that takes quite a long time to build. In order to really uh, be a smart investor, you need to have a high level of product knowledge, a high level of brand knowledge. That will allow you to really, over time, optimize your investments, your collections into a, a more optimized portfolio, uh, uh, so to speak. I think I would start with that kind of a suggestion. I think knowledge, building knowledge is very important. And I think specific knowledge is better to start with a specific category than to spread too broadly. Of course, there are some also brands that tend to do very well. So those brands historically are always a good investment. Like, for example, we talked about Pateks, for example, Hermes, of course, in the luxury uh, handbag category, but also other brands that are maybe more discreet that offer a higher ROI, so to speak, on investment. So I, I would probably start with that. So that's it from us. Investing in luxury assets can bring us both capital appreciation and emotional upside. But you will need to build up your knowledge before you venture into this asset class. Thanks very much for your insights, Sonia and Aaron. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Invest Talk, a series by the Straits Times podcast channel Your Money and Career. I'm Lee Su Shen. If you'd like to read my column, there are links in our podcast show notes. And I'm Tae Hong Yi. The links to my columns on careers are also available in the show notes. Happy, Happy investing. investing! That was a podcast by The Straits Times. Send your feedback to podcast at sph.com.sg. Find us on Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or via the Google Voice Assistant and Amazon Alexa-enabled devices. For more podcasts by The Straits Times, The Business Times, and Money FM 89.3, you can also download the Audio by SPH app. That's A-W-E-D-I-O. Do note, all analyses, opinions, recommendations, and other information in this podcast are for general information purposes only and are not intended to be relied upon as financial advice. You should not rely on them in making any decision. Please consult a fully qualified financial advisor or professional expert for independent advice and verification. To the fullest extent permitted by law, SPH Media shall not be liable for any loss arising from the use of or reliance on any analyses, opinions, recommendations and other information in this podcast. SPH Media accepts no responsibility or liability whatsoever that may result or arise from the products, services or information of any third parties. All opinions expressed by participants in this podcast are solely their own and do not reflect the opinions of SPH Media.